0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Over My Dead Pod. I'm your host today, Holly Spear. This is Kate
1: Carter and I'm Kylie Colwell.
0: And obviously today is my episode and I just did the girls our little PowerPoint that we do before our episodes and Kate knows of the story or she knows some of the story and Kylie, I don't know, do you know this one? I don't think I do. Okay. I'm very excited. This will be a good one. I think it's going to be good. Okay, so let's just jump right in. So Kate and Kylie may already know this about me, but I have this like little weird obsession with the Appalachian Trail. I don't know. I just think it's creepy and interesting. Um... But really, disappearances in any national park in general is just like super creepy to me. This is a pretty niche little interest of mine, but I've been on the TikTok algorithm of mysteries and conspiracies in the national park or in on the Appalachian Trail for way too long. Um, and I actually just recently, within the past, well, I don't know, I guess when I was in college, figured out that it's Appalachian, not Appalachian.
2: Yes. So uh, Kylie and I will absolutely kill you if you said that incorrectly as North Carolinians. But you can also think about it like my both my parents went to Appalachian State University, which is in Boone of North Carolina. And so growing up people all the time would be like Appalachia, which some people do call it Appalachia, but not this is not what you're talking about. You're talking about the Appalachian Mountains.
0: Yeah, and I, I got corrected by somebody who was like, it's Appalachia and it shook my it shook my world, shook my being. So, anyways, so I'm sure that everyone knows about the Appalachian Trail, but I don't think before I was older that I really truly appreciated just how freaking huge and rugged the trail is. So the trail is about two thousand one hundred and ninety miles and spans across fourteen states. So to do the entire Appalachian trail to like hike it. It takes about five to seven months. So that's ridiculous. Surprisingly, every year, thousands of hikers attempt to do this hike. And unsurprisingly to me, at least only about one in four make it all the way.
2: Okay. Okay. So Holly, when you say one in four people make it, do you mean they actually complete the trail or do you mean the other three are dead?
0: No. Okay. So One in four actually complete the trail. The other one's like, don't make it through the full trail. They quit for whatever reason, you know, obviously, because it's like super intense. So, yeah, that's a good clarification. Three out of four people just decide not for me, not for me, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's it. it, I've only I think I could only think of like two people that I actually know that have have done it before. And it was over months and months.
0: Yeah. I mean,
2: seven months or something crazy.
0: Yeah, deranged, to say the least. That's crazy. So the Appalachian Trail is the ideal hiking spot for Meredith Emerson. Meredith is 24 years old, and she grew up hiking the Rocky Mountains. She was born in Charleston, South Carolina, and then was raised in Holly Springs, North Carolina, which is a suburb of Raleigh, and also spent some time in Longmont, Colorado. So she's an avid hiker. Meredith moved to Georgia for college, and she went to Georgia University and graduated in 2005. She ends up getting a job in Georgia as a sales associate and roomed with a friend after college that she met while in college named Julia. And they lived in Beaufort, Georgia, which is about an hour from the university. So it's New Year's Day, 2008. The roommate, Julia, woke up late to find a note written from her roommate, Meredith. The note read, taking Ella hiking. Hope you had fun. I think that Julia had like gone out the night before for New Year's Eve. So Ella is Meredith's black lab mix. that oh my goodness. We Rescued. Yes. And she's adorable.
2: Ella. Well, that's a cute name. Yes. It was a fluffy puppy?
0: So fluffy. So this was typical for Meredith. Like I said, she grew up hiking and this was one of her passions. She loved to take her dog Ella with her. So the roommate, Julia, ends up spending the rest of New Year's Day with friends and does not come home until the next morning. When Julia does come home that next day, she's confused that Ella, Meredith's dog, is not there. See, the roommates had this routine where Meredith would go to work and she would put Ella, the dog, in Julia's room. And Julie would take care of Ella in the mornings. And this morning, Ella is not there. So this is weird. Julia calls Meredith and her phone goes straight to voicemail. Julia ends up going to work that day, and when Julia gets to work, she gets a call from a friend that worked with Meredith, who told her that Meredith did not show up to work.
2: Okay, wait, hold on, let me just say something to you guys. If in this day and age, if my phone goes immediately to voicemail, something's wrong, check my location, because you know, like it, it goes through even if you're on a call with somebody else and you have to decline it, but if it immediately goes to voicemail... Ain't no way my phone ever dies. Now, Holly, I know that your phone dies every once in a while. So you're a bad target for this one. But yes, check my location because that's not normal.
1: If your phone said we can't check your location.
2: My phone doesn't die. I would never I have too much OCD to let my phone get near dying. So that mixed with the dog not being there. I'm already going to say red
0: flags. Yeah, red flags. It dawns on Julia that Meredith never made it home from her hike the day before. So she's super reliable. She would never miss work. She's the first one there. Never late. She'd never be a no-call, no-show. So they immediately know that something's wrong. Julia then calls and reports Meredith missing to the sheriff's office. Julia then rallies Meredith's friends, and they go out and start looking for Julia. The note that Julia left didn't tell where she was going or when she left but the friends know that she's somewhere hiking. So they start searching all the spots that they know Meredith to frequently hike. They were thinking that she'd probably fallen or gotten lost somewhere on the trail. One of these spots is called Blood Mountain.
2: Inconvenient. That's a a good name.
1: Oh, also on this map, we have Slaughter Gap.
2: Oh, look at that. Slaughter Gap is in the area of Blood Mountain.
0: Yes. Very unfortunate names. Um, Yeah. I don't Hmm. know about it. I don't like it. I don't
2: like it at all. I
0: don't either. But, despite the name, Blood Mountain is one of the most popular places to hike in the area, and it's the highest peak on the Georgia section of the Appalachian Trail. It is located within the Chattahoochee National Forest. The friends go to search the trail on Blood Mountain, and in the parking lot, at the base of the trail, they find Meredith's car. So the friends have to be partly relieved because at least they have found the trail that she's on. They know she's an experienced hiker and they think likely she has just gotten stuck and is waiting on help. But they just need to find her before nightfall. This is because there's a cold front moving in and it's supposed to get below zero and it's beginning to get dark. So the friends search and search all night. Nightfall comes and they still find no signs of Meredith or Ella. The next morning, searchers and detectives begin their search of the trail, but two days pass and there is still no sign of Meredith. There's a sinking feeling when it is discovered that detectives find two water bottles, a dog leash and a police baton on the trail. A police baton. So like one of those like collapsible batons, metal batons. And on the ground where these items were found, it looked like there had been a struggle. Police start switching gears. They begin thinking that this is not a case of a missing hiker, but an abduction. The search increases. Detectives begin finding and interviewing all the hikers that have been on the trail that New Year's Day. And what they find is even more worrisome. Other hikers saw Meredith, but she was not alone. They find out that she was hiking with a strange-looking older male who had a reddish-brown dog with him who had gotten out of a white van police obtained a picture of the van from someone who had taken a picture of the parking lot and the white van could be seen in the distance so police issue a bolo or be on the lookout for an older male about 50 to 60 years old about 160 pounds with bad teeth driving a white van with a retriever dog it doesn't really narrow it down does it
2: not really I do. I want to say that's like, you know, when people say like, oh, be aware of your surroundings at all times, like certain situations like this, the other hikers there, like that's huge that they were able to like piece this together.
0: So, yeah, I mean, I guess even though that's like a very broad description, for some reason, people on this trail really remember this guy and remember who they have seen, maybe because he had a dog with him. I don't know. A man named John in Georgia was following the case of the missing hiker when he heard this police description of the man with Meredith and his stomach dropped. John owned businesses in Georgia and in some of these businesses he had a reoccurring employee named Gary Hilton. John had known Gary for over a decade. John knew that Gary frequently visited Blood Mountain and he also knew that Gary Hilton had a reddish pointer dog. And that he always carried a police baton with him for whatever reason. John tells police that Gary's only real hobbies included going to national forests, camping there for long periods of time with his dog. John told police that Gary was actually a really good employee. John had known him for about 10 years, and these 10 years had been very uneventful. Gary did good work, and he was a loyal employee. But then, around 2007, John said something snapped in Gary. John tells the story of how his relationship with Gary turned sour. Once a hardworking Gary pretty much stopped doing any work randomly one day when he was supposed to be doing work at John's house siding business. So John goes to check what's up with Gary. At this time, Gary is actually living in one of John's rent houses, John said he went to visit Gary and Gary's appearance had drastically changed. He had pretty much stopped caring for himself and for his hygiene at all. And he was missing several teeth, which he tells John that he just took out himself with a pair of pliers. Red flag. Red flag. Red flag.
2: Yeah. Big red flag.
0: (laughs) Which he said that he did on purpose for no other reason other than he liked the way it looked and liked the way that it shocked people to see him like that.
1: See, I would think he was on like meth or something.
2: I'm going to say he had a mental break at some point.
0: Yes, which he and he told that he told John he's like I took him out myself with pliers, like just cuz.
2: Yeah. I do want to say also I was just thinking about this too how like the employer was like, "Oh, I know exactly who they're talking about like description-wise, has the same dog and everything." If if you guys ever hear <laughs> report and it's like dark haired lady with a small brown pitbull and black and white tall dog you guys would be like oh kate carter like we know exactly immediately i think the dogs make a huge difference like holly Mm -hmm. if it was you and the wiener dogs like i'd be like i know exactly who this is would i tell on you absolutely not but i would call you first and be like include me otherwise i'm gonna tell on you
1: (laughs) i think i'm gonna ask if one of the dachshunds didn't have a neck
2: i'd be like "Hmm," like a long one a really long one and then a, and then a one that a one that doesn't make sense
1: yeah and then does was the great dane licking everything
2: (laughs) yes and was he kind of was he kind of acting like he wasn't no brain you know i think the dogs make a difference because if i see a dog out and about i always am like dog you know like i look and pay
0: attention so and you never forget the dog
1: never Never forget
2: forget the dog. dog
0: I'm just gonna go ahead and say that there's something mentally wrong with Gary at this point, maybe. I don't know if it's a mental break, but something pretty fairly likely that something's going on with this man. And John thinks so, also. He says that Gary is overly talkative and animated. John ends up firing Gary, and Gary immediately begins claiming that John owed him money. Gary was not going anywhere without this money, and he continued to harass his old boss for months about this. So this goes on for a while until Gary actually threatens to kill John. John obviously takes this threat seriously and reports it to police. John says within a few days, Gary had fled the area. He had packed up all his stuff and just completely left. So fast forward to 2008 when John makes this report. John claims the description matches Gary Hilton to a T. Police get a picture of Gary and go back to the hikers that reported seeing the old male with Meredith, and they confirmed this was the man that they saw. Police then blast Gary Hilton's face everywhere, and they launch a manhunt. In the midst of this, police begin their own background work on Gary, and police learn that Gary Hilton has already had previous run-ins with the law. No shock there, and a couple years back, Gary had a drug possession charge, and Gary also ...had set up this, like, fake charity that he posed as collecting money for needy children. But Gary was actually just, like, pocketing every dollar from this charity. And so he's basically a con man. Police discover that Gary never knew his father, that he was raised by his mother and stepfather, and at 14 years old, Gary actually shot his stepfather. Now, the stepfather was severely wounded, but did not die. It was claimed by Gary later that he was abused as a child by his family. And after this incident, Gary is institutionalized. Gary ends up finishing college, actually, and earning an associate's degree and then joining the army. He had his private pilot's license and he had been married three times, but his most recent marriage had ended in divorce. Gary turns into the prime suspect. Meanwhile, Meredith's family and friends are still very hopeful that Meredith is still alive. Meredith was very, very witty and smart. Not only was she an experienced hiker, but she was also a blue belt and took judo. Really good
2: stuff. Like, very smart for her to know that if she's out and about by herself.
0: Yeah. So they're thinking if anybody can survive, it's going to be Meredith. Gary's face is plastered all over the news when citizens of Florida start remembering similar cases out of a national park there. The phone lines start lighting up with tips from citizens of Florida who remember a case that haunted their community. Some callers claim that they saw Gary Hilton in Florida around the time their beloved Florida resident went missing. Cheryl Dunlap was a 46-year-old that lives in Crawfordville, Florida. She was a mother and a grandmother. Like when Meredith did not show up for work, in 2007, on December 1st, Cheryl did not show up for church at River of Life her devout church-going friends knew something was wrong with Cheryl. She was also scheduled to teach a Sunday school class that morning and did not show up. Then that next Monday, employees that worked with Cheryl called Cheryl's daughter-in-law to tell her that Cheryl had not showed up for work. Cheryl was a nurse, and just like Meredith, it was completely unlike Cheryl not to show up for her responsibilities. The daughter-in-law reported Cheryl missing. Then, a few days after Cheryl was reported missing, police find Cheryl's car on the side of the road. Now, Cheryl's car was not, like, right on the side of the road. It was pretty far off, so not like she would, like, run out of gas or anything. Like, it was pretty far off the road. Like, you would have to do it on purpose. The tire was flat, but after further investigation, police concluded that her tire had actually been slashed. On the other side of Cheryl's car is the Apalachicola National Forest. Townspeople and detectives pull together to start searching the surrounding woods. A few days later, police get a hold of Cheryl's bank records and discover that Cheryl's debit card had recently been used in downtown Tallahassee, which is pretty far from where Cheryl's car is found. Police go to the ATM and pull the video, which, it's funny how, like, cameras never work anywhere, but for some reason these freaking ATM cameras are, like, the most reliable thing in the world, but... Yeah, they pulled this ATM video, and the camera shows someone other than Cheryl using her card. It's a white male who has his face covered. He withdrew fourteen thousand dollars in total. Yeah. Wait, you can withdraw that much? No, so in total, so like he had done multiple. Okay, yeah. Transactions. Oh, I
2: was like, I was like, I think I thought you got pinged after like three hundred bucks or something. You know, like yeah, yeah. everyone That's I've a seen lot. has like
0: a limit. Yeah, yeah. He he does that in total. So. Police watch this ATM to see if the same man ever returns, but he never does. The search for Cheryl continues, but it is obviously not looking very promising. Fourteen days after Cheryl was reported missing, two hunters are trekking through the National Forest when they stumble upon a female body. This body is not immediately identifiable as Cheryl because the body is actually missing the head and the hands. Then, five miles from where the body is discovered, investigators found a charred piece of skull and remains of human hands in the dust of a campfire. DNA would identify what is left of Cheryl Dunlap's body on December 15th. The case had gone cold up until this point. Since so many people in Florida identified Gary Hilton's picture as the same man they saw around where Cheryl went missing, police in Florida are now looking very hard at Gary Hilton trying to determine if he could be responsible for this unsolved murder. While police are hurriedly trying to find Gary Hilton and determine if he could be connected to the case of Cheryl Dunlap, another similar story surfaces, this time out of North Carolina in yet another national forest. Investigators begin to question what kind of case they have here. Could this be a possible serial killer targeting national forests? Now remember, up until this point, police are putting all of this together It has only been three days since Meredith has been reported missing, and they are still looking for her. Her family and friends are still waiting and hoping that Meredith is still alive. So the next case that the public draws attention to is an unsolved case about a husband and a wife in the Pisgah National Forest in Transylvania County in North Carolina. The couple is Irene and John Bryant. This couple retired here from New York. One of the biggest factors that led them here was the amazing hiking trails in the Pisgah National Forest. They're big hikers and adventurers. Two months before Meredith even disappeared from the Georgia Trail, the couple would set off on their hike on the Pisgah Trail for the day and never return. A child of the couple began to worry when their parents never let them know that they got back safely from their hike. And when days went by with no communication from their parents, one of the sons flew to North Carolina to check. He found the door to their home was locked and uncollected newspapers were scattering the ground. The son broke down the door to find that the home was just as the couple had left it. Their breakfast still sat on the table, obviously very old at this point. He began searching every trail he knows his parents to hike. He found their car on the trailhead of the Pisgah Hiking Trail. Search teams go and look for the couple through the trail. Searchers find the body of Irene Bryant, 30 yards from her car. It was obvious from the body that Irene had been bludgeoned to death. Just like the case of Meredith, police then discovered that the couple's card had been used at an ATM in Tennessee. The transaction was for $300. Police pulled the footage from the ATM, and again, the person withdrawing the cash had their face covered, but police could tell that it was not 79-year-old John Bryant. Police continue their search for John. A hunter will eventually find the body of John Bryant. But the case has since gone cold. That is, until those North Carolina police hear about the Meredith Emerson case and connect the similarities. With these three cases connected, it is obvious that there is a serial killer killing in the National Forest. So we know that the main suspect is Gary Hilton, and here is where things get a little bit weird. Remember that I told you that Gary had been accused of possession of drugs and also conning people, like pretending he was a charity for little kids? Yeah. Okay, so every time he had a charge, he would hire the same lawyer, and this lawyer's name was Sam Rao. Now, Sam is a very colorful lawyer. On the side, Sam, the lawyer, is also a somewhat amateur movie producer, and he produces interesting movies that you would not see in theaters. They're mostly low-budget, colorful little movies, if you catch the drift. They're kind of like weird sexual thriller movies. Think movies in the back of the DVD section of, like, an old movie rental place with, like, a weird cover and actors you've never heard of before. One of these movies was the lawyer's first movie that was made in 1985, and he had the help of one of his clients, Gary Hilton. The movie is called Deadly Run, and in the movie, women are abducted and released into the woods and hunted. So it's giving, like, copywriting most dangerous game, if you know what that is. Um, but that's the premise of the movie. So Gary is helping with the production of this little movie, and he's giving, like, all these ideas to the actor who's playing the killer. Gary's little ideas include, like, how to be a better serial killer and how the actor should portray himself. So he's getting, like, way too into this, (laughs) to be honest. Like, everybody's kind of like, wow, okay, tone it down, you know? Sam, the lawyer, says that Gary was constantly trying to make the movie, like, darker and darker and more horrible than he intended it to be. And he was constantly working to push the boundaries of the movie in, like, an odd way. And he wanted more blood, more gore, more killing, more, like, assaults. And everyone else is, like, working to, like, tune this guy back and stop these too creepy of vibes. So the movie's already weird, but Gary's, like, pushing it even further. And to add, the movie was actually filmed in the same woods where Meredith Emerson went missing. Police are starting to put this together while they're looking for Gary, and they're like, yeah, we're looking for the right guy. Gary and Sam, the lawyer, had a falling out when Gary stole Sam's dog, a golden retriever, right out of Sam's yard. I guess, like, Sam came home and his dog was missing, and then I guess the next time he sees Gary, he's just, like, with his dog? I don't know. But that was their little falling out. Apparently, Did he get the dog back? I don't know. I didn't say that, but, like, I hope so. I maybe. like that he
2: took the dog. It was just like, I've got it now. I now, around with it.
0: Yeah. Very bizarre. Uh, Gary Is- likes dogs, by the way. I mean, obviously, he's got other issues, but Gary was very fond of dogs, so.
1: Was this the dog that he was hiking with that people saw? Okay, the-
0: I don't know, but I feel like maybe. I don't... I didn't say, but, like... Possibly? I don't know.
1: It's weird. Very. Also, I looked up lawyer Sam because what an interesting character listed on his website. He has himself listed as a former amateur boxer, a professional pilot, a professional scuba diver, and a professional skier. Hmm. And
0: he's an attorney. A professional skier. That's what- who's Who's paying you to ski? yeah who's paying you to ski and like that just feels like something that you can say and nobody can prove like what makes you a professional skier you know but he has
1: also produced two feature films with star-studded casts, and he anticipates doing a television pilot for broadcast so ladies i feel like we should audition yes
2: yeah i might might pass on that one um i'll let you guys do it though (laughs) if you look up the movie deadly run it has a 3.3 on imdb that's not bad it's not, I mean, it's not a zero. It's not a zero. Would I watch it? Probably not. I need at least a six to seven.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's out of ten. Is that a ten? Out of a ten. Oh, oh. it was out of five. Well, like, damn. No, no, dope. no.
0: Yeah, no, I was no, gonna no, say. No. Like, okay. Well,
1: I mean, somebody zero, still also...
0: rated it okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he's a very interesting. Sam is a very interesting character for sure. So, police are collecting all this information about Gary, and they're pretty sure that Gary Hilton is their guy. But remember, they still have no trace of him. That is until John, Gary's old boss, gets a phone call. Remember John, the old boss, the guy that gave police their first tip, that the description of the man with Meredith reminded him of his old employee, Gary. Well, John gets a call on his cell phone three days into Meredith's disappearance, and at this point... Three whole states are looking for Gary and it's a literal manhunt but Gary acts completely normal on the phone. Gary apologizes for the disagreement with him and Gary says that he was sick but he feels much better and he's ready to come back to work. John must have been thinking very quickly because John is like oh yes of course like you can come back to work like yeah come back for sure And I'll give you like that money that you wanted. So he's like, meet me at this place and I'm going to like drop the money off and you can come pick it up. So John immediately gets off the phone with him and tips police off that Gary is coming to pick up the money at this location. Police trace the call and discover that Gary is only 50 miles from the abduction site and at just like this random restaurant using, I think like a payphone. Police are waiting at the pickup spot to see if Gary would show up. But Gary is a no show. Then, four days into the disappearance, police discover that Meredith's credit card is being used. Her card is used 15 miles from the abduction site, then again 50 miles from the abduction site, and then 80 miles from the abduction site. Here's what's interesting from that. All three of these were just attempts to withdraw. No money was actually taken out because an incorrect pin was being used. This is like really good news to police. It suggests that it's possible that Meredith is still alive and that she's giving her abductor the incorrect pin, and trying to buy herself time, and it looks like it's working. This suggests also that Gary is moving south and trying to leave town. So this same day, a woman calls into police to report that there is a black lab wandering around the parking lot. She took the dog to the vet, where the vet scanned the dog for microchips, and found that the dog belonged to Meredith Emerson. So this was Ella. Police searched the area and they found a dumpster that contains Meredith's purse and all of her cards and ID and three bloody shirts. Gary gets even more desperate and he makes a call to his ex-girlfriend for a payphone close to where the dog is found. Gary asks for money and the ex-girlfriend says, no, don't you know that everyone is looking for you? And then she hangs up. She reports a call to police, and we can assume that Gary is trying to just, like, get the hell out of Dodge because he's making all these calls, and he's desperate, but he has no money to leave. That night, another caller calls 911 to report that they're at a gas station, and they have spotted a man driving a white van with a dog. The man has the van parked, and he's currently cleaning it out. Police swarm to this gas station where they find Gary Hilton. Unfortunately, they only find Gary Hilton and Meredith is not with him. Obviously, Gary is arrested and the police are eager to interview Hilton thinking that there's still hope that Meredith can be found alive. Gary refuses to speak to police without an attorney and he's charged with kidnapping and bodily injury. I assume that he's charged with a bodily injury because they found Meredith's bloody clothes but they don't know know, if she's dead or alive. So Gary gets his little attorney And the district attorney offers Gary a deal. Gary will plead guilty to murder, and he will lead the investigators to Meredith's body, and they will take death penalty off the table. Gary agrees, and he leads the investigators to Dawson Forest. The forest is not the same one where Meredith went missing, but it's close to where her clothes are found. Gary said that the body will be 40 yards off the trail, and it will be covered with leaves and brush, and that the head will be missing. He tells investigators he decapitated Meredith so that forensics could not identify her. So, like, he wanted to clarify, like, I didn't want to cut her off. all. You know, like, I wouldn't want to do it. I just, like, had to, you know, for forensics purposes, as if that makes anything. He was totally, he was forced to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Worst his hand on that one. He did it before and they still found
1: the head in the hands?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't even do a good job of that. Okay. Nope. Please locate the body of Meredith and give her poor grieving family the news meredith's family is crushed they have for so many days been holding out the hope that meredith is alive somewhere even more unfortunate for the family they find out that they were right meredith had been alive all of this time being held hostage and fighting for her life from gary gary hilton tells police the story of his four days with meredith how she fought him until the very end gary met meredith on the trail and they actually hiked alongside each other that day until he could not keep up anymore. Remember, he's 61 years old. Gary stops halfway on the trail, and Meredith just continues up the trail. Gary stops and waits for Meredith to come back down. On her way down, Gary was waiting on Meredith with a military-style knife and his police baton. He demanded her ATM card. Meredith was immediately defensive, and she grabs the blade and the baton. Gary said she wouldn't stop. She wouldn't stop fighting and yelling, so he needed to control and silence her. Gary began punching her, blackening both of her eyes and breaking her nose. He said the blows actually broke his hand. And all through this, Meredith is like fighting him back. When he thought that she was worn down, she came back and she fought him again. He led her down the mountain, threatening her with a knife, leading her down alternate trails that Gary knew no one would be down. He placed Meredith and her dog in the van. Meredith survived three days with Hilton. Gary said that him and Meredith had actual good conversation and that it was a good three days, which I'm pretty sure with 100% certainty that Meredith would disagree with. But Meredith is stuck there trying to sympathize with this man so that she could live another day. Gary lived in this fantasy world that Meredith was not hurt and he was treating her well. Gary claims he had no idea that police were looking for him and that he had not seen his face on the news or heard about Meredith at all since this was because they had been spending days hiking in the forests. He said that had he had known his face was all over the front papers, he would not have killed her. Which, totally don't believe that because he's already killed people up in... What was he
2: gonna do? Just let her go?
0: Yeah,
1: no. Also, the ex-girlfriend he called said people were looking for him?
0: Yes, good point. Mm. On the morning of January 4th, Gary told Meredith that she would be returning home. He was going to let her go. Meredith was tied to a tree. He told her he was about to untie her. But instead, Gary came up behind her and beat her with a tire iron, then used a serrated kitchen knife to decapitate Meredith. He took off her clothes and placed them in a bag and tied them up. Gary took Meredith's head and her clothes and threw them off of one of the trails. He hid her body under some brush and drove away. He left her dog, Ella, with her body. And we know that later, Meredith's dog, Ella, would be found wandering around a parking lot close to the site of Meredith's body. This is when he drove to the station in Atlanta and started cleaning his van. And this is where he ultimately was recognized by people that made the reports, which led to his arrest. Police searched the van and what Gary had been cleaning, and they find clothes with Meredith's blood on them. Police find that army knife that Gary had used to force Meredith into his van in the woods. Gary claims that he had just killed for money and that he should have picked something better like robbing a bank because all this killing business really just got him nowhere but caught, is his exact words. So this is obviously more than enough evidence to charge Gary. The state honors their deal they made and Gary is tried and convicted of the murder of Meredith Emerson and receives life in prison without the death penalty. Gary had managed to make this deal with police and avoid the death penalty in Georgia, but police in Florida and North Carolina had at this point connected Gary to the murder of Cheryl Dunlap and Irene and John Bryant, and they would be charging Gary as well. Florida was not making any deals. June 2008, Gary is extradited to Florida for trial for capital murder, so the death penalty of Cheryl Dunlap. Gary tried to get another cute little deal, and he offers to confess everything for a life sentence. And the district attorney refuses. They have more than enough evidence to charge Gary. While Gary was in jail, he had told another roommate about how he killed Cheryl. I'll also, pointing out Gary is a like huge talker um, to everyone. His interview is insanely long, and he actually will just like not quit talking. He talks about like how great of a criminal he is. He talks about like super volcanoes under Yellowstone. He talks about how big of a genius he is, like more than the investigators. Talks about he's how smart he is. So this man is like, if you just listen to the interview, you can tell he's 100% just like a narcissist and a psychopath, just like many other serial killers. So, I mean, just can't quit talking. We know we know the type. So So in this conversation with the other inmate in this jail, the jail records all conversations between inmates and they can be listened to at any time. So he tells the other inmate about killing Cheryl, the Sunday school teacher. He went on to say he liked killing people. It gave him a thrill. A thrill that he used to get when he was jumping out of airplanes when he was in the army. In addition, police now had Gary in his van, giving them a whole cache of forensic evidence to use in Cheryl's trial. Multiple witnesses come forward to testify that Gary Hilton was seen hiking in the forest when Cheryl went missing. Police find a video camera in Hilton's van, and on the camera... They can't recover the video, but they can recover the audio, because I think he's tried to delete it. But they are able to recover the audio, and Hilton is, like, sing-talking to his dog. The audio says, we did it, we just killed those bitches, go to the park, but first, I gotta hide it somewhere else. So, the DNA evidence is the smoking gun. In Hilton's van, police find Cheryl's DNA on two of Hilton's sleeping bags, and the shoelaces of his hiking boots. At the trial, the defense team tries to argue the mental incapacity of Hilton. Um, Apparently, when Hilton was 10 years old, a Murphy bed fell on him, giving him over 200 stitches. And they claim that he was abused as a child.
2: Uh, That's pretty funny. Yeah, I'm sorry That's Holly do you know what a murphy bed
0: is no and I tried to look it up and I couldn't okay. find
2: it again. so a murphy bed is one that goes back into the wall so it's oh. like set for storage and stuff yes purposes. I've seen that so like if that shit falls on you <laughs> as a 10 year old that's great. I mean that dude probably thereon had mental issues that's gnarly oh man I didn't expect that that was a good twist
0: a murphy bed fell on him and he had to have 200 stitches it's also argued that he might have been abused as a child. But the prosecution argues that on the IQ scale, Hilton is actually quite a bit above average intelligence. And he's actually in the top 10% of the population. So he's extremely intelligent. Doctors testify that Gary knew right from wrong and that nothing else caused Gary to commit these murders other than the fact that he was just a psychopath. Gary's found guilty of the murder of Cheryl and he is sentenced to death in Florida. North Carolina also charges Gary for the murder of John and Irene Bryant and because he is already sentenced to death in Florida, North Carolina does not seek the death penalty and Gary pleads guilty to a life sentence without parole for the murder of John and Irene. Currently, Gary is awaiting death and he is 76 years old. Many think that Gary may have had other victims. They claim that it is unlikely that Gary became a serial killer at the age of 61. Gary continues to claim that he is not responsible for any other murders. The National Park Service's statistics claim there are 330 deaths per year out of the nearly 300 million yearly visitors. More than half of those are accidental. This leaves a disturbing number of questionable deaths and possible murders that may have occurred in national parks, and they are mostly unsolved. National parks annually report about 15 murders a year. In the past five years, 73 people have been known to be murdered. Officials believe that there are at least four other deaths connected to Gary Hilton, and there's the potential for many, many more. So far, Hilton is sticking to the story that the only people he has killed he's been charged for. He claims he began, quote, hunting October 2007 when he killed John and Irene. But the families of Meredith Emerson... Cheryl Dunlap, and John and Irene Bryant will always continue to mourn the loss of their family members killed senselessly at the hands of Gary Hilton, and police departments will continue to attempt to determine if Gary Hilton truly began his hunting in 2007, or if there are far, far more victims of the National Park serial killer. And that is the story of Gary Hilton. Shout out to his boss, though.
2: This all happened because of his boss.
0: Yeah. 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 What a good boss. What's so terrible is actually, like, later on, Gary goes to claim, like, oh, it's actually John's fault. He's like, oh, it's all his fault because if I wouldn't have been set up and I wouldn't have known that they were looking for me, I wouldn't have killed her. Like, he said that when he called his boss that day and was, like, asking to be put back on the job, He's like, if he just would have told me that they were looking for me, I wouldn't have killed her. I wouldn't have killed Cheryl if like I knew my face was already on the front page of all these papers, but he tricked me and he, you know, didn't even tell me and I would have like spared her life, which is completely untrue, but I just can't imagine how how John probably felt, you know, because it's like he's blaming him for He's it. blaming him always somebody else's fault with these kinds of people, but yeah. That's a psychopath. Yeah, he's a
2: psychopath. I also want to say, like, that that movie that we talked about, it was filmed in, like, 1996 or something like that, and he was already acting so freaking sketchy back then. There's no way that he waited 10 years, 10 years to then yeah. kill somebody. You know, like, you said he might be linked to, like, four other deaths and stuff like that. I highly doubt that he hasn't killed other people.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible for people to get psychotic breaks, but I just really don't think that... I don't know. I just think that it's just probably likely that there's just other murders that he hasn't been connected to yet.
1: Right. We know he shot his stepdad.
0: Yeah.
2: And yeah. And I mean, he didn't die, but like, that's a huge... I mean, not gonna lie. The Murphy bed falling on him. He probably got some brain damage going on with that, but also... If he was abused, we know how, I mean, a lot of our people are previously abused, which doesn't make it okay, but there's probably yeah. a lot of stuff going on. And if he was super, super smart, like, I mean, it's a class A psychopath.
0: Yeah. I mean, we know the recipe for these killers and it's childhood trauma, plus like, mm. you know, already having mental injuries. And, yeah. It, yeah, injuries and all of that. So he fits the bill a hundred percent.
1: I think my thing is he he's not confessing to any of these murders until he's like being presented with them.
2: Right. So right. why I confess to ones that he hasn't been caught with?
1: Yeah. So I think if you went up to him and you were like, okay, we have evidence for like these other X, Y, Z cases, he would, if yeah, that right. were the case.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I can't remember what other story that we covered that we talked about. Um, Someone that was on death row and he was actually killed. And then later it was questionable if he was, guilty in other murders and i feel like that might be the case here again um if he is put to death before they figure out if he is guilty for these other murders
2: yeah just i mean at this point fortunately we're in 2023 you know he's still in in prison they've collected enough dna evidence so that hopefully if anything else comes out they'll be able to match stuff to him but we won't know you know that's just
0: yeah yeah, there's the DNA evidence and like you can say it's him, but it's just like retribution for these families. I think if he's not there to say why he did it or, you know, the story of what happened is um unfortunate. Oh, that's
2: horrible. Yeah. yeah. To go for the rest of your life not knowing. Yeah. Absolutely horrible. So his first mugshot that Holly put in the PowerPoint, do you guys uh you what's that movie called? Um uh, Unfortunate Series of Events, something like what Oh, Lemony Sniggett? doesn't he kind of like give you that vibe okay and then his most recent mugshot um he he doesn't look like a killer but you said he's only like 74 the dude looks like he's 110 like he is so he really aged horrifically which Mm -hmm. i mean whatever but uh that just kind of gave me a laugh because you went from one picture to the to the updated one and i was like oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) good story holly
0: thank you Yeah, maybe more to come National Park Murders, because I just think they're so interesting. I don't know if you want to, like, plug another
1: podcast on here, but there's, have you listened to Park Predators?
0: Oh my gosh, yes. I love that one. I haven't listened to it recently, but it's such a good one. Yeah. I was thinking about it, and I, like,
1: I've only listened to, like, a couple of them.
0: Park Predators, I think it's, like, Delia D'Ambro. I think that's her last name. Um, Yeah. Yeah. works with uh, Ashley Flowers from Crime Junkie, and um, their podcasts are always really awesome. So yeah, plug. Wow, love that plug.
2: Do you guys want to jump right into overtime?
0: Yes. So we are going to jump into our overtime today. And I think Kylie has a update that she hasn't told us about yet.
1: I have a little anniversary.
2: And we don't know what it is, so.
1: We don't know what it is. Um, you you will. Um, probably not a good one. Oh. This Saturday, November 18th, will be 45 years since the um, Jonestown Massacre, where 918 people committed suicide. 45 years? 45 years.
2: No, I no way I would have put that together. Like that yeah, is
0: no. I was thinking like something of our like friendship anniversary. I was like, oh, it's gonna be so cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a cute, a cute little anniversary. You know, friggin' morbid. Well, this all started because I found this
1: website, it's a British website, and they have every day they have like a calendar that like updates us like true crime news like on this day in history or whatever. And I'm like scrolling through, I'm like, oh what's coming up? I was like, Oh yeah, the Jonestown Massacre Saturday kinds How- of holidays
0: <laughs> kylie has on her calendar yeah really
2: <laughs> great okay well i hope my child's not born on saturday because that's just gonna be really bad for the rest of her life but we we've totally talked about this massacre right
1: i don't know if we've talked about it on the pod about okay it.
2: well maybe we won't go into much detail because somebody might do it but if you haven't oh, wait, are
1: you? because i'm not doing it because that's like a 10-hour episode
2: okay well it might be on someone's list okay uh, for the future. <laughs> But if you haven't heard of this massacre, uh, let's just, all I'm going to say is 900 people died, apocalyptic cult. That's all, you you get it. It's crazy.
1: Absolutely bananas.
2: God, the picture, I just looked up some pictures too. It's the, it's absolutely nuts. 45 years. Wow. That's crazy. It was like
0: a mass poisoning, right? I'm not saying anything, Holly. I thought, okay. Yeah. The Kool-Aid.
1: That's how that's got started drinking. Yes. Okay.
2: Yeah. This was that was a really good story. Good for you. That's a good one. That's really good. So I bet that this was going to be edited out during our actual story today. But um, Kylie and I need to bring up the fact that Holly doesn't know what Chernobyl is. And we're just going to take this to overtime because I think this is really important.
0: Okay, wait, I mean, listen, I'm bad with like names of stuff, but I'm sure if you tell me what it is, I'm sure I'll know it. I
1: hope you do because this is my favorite historical event of all time.
0: So it's, it's your it's your okay. uh my Roman Empire. Your Roman Empire, yes. This is, Chernobyl yes. is my Roman Empire. Okay.
2: She thinks about it on a daily basis. So okay, Chernobyl located in the Ukraine during the SSR, a power plant radiator oh, exploded. Is this
0: the elephant foot? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes.
2: But how do you not know the name Chernobyl? Okay, so it didn't. I think thirty to
0: forty people died. Okay, I think I know it, but it's just like I not I was not associating it with that name. Like I know the name sounded familiar and know the whole story, but like I wasn't putting that together when you said it.
1: It's on my bucket list. Number one on my bucket list is to go because you can do little guided tours. They have a hotel, little bar. Kylie, would you do that? What? What do you? I would do it. I would do it. What if there's still? What if there's still activity there? They, there is but they give you like a little reader and they're certain. Yeah, are like, not you're, no you're yes. not
0: allowed to go no people okay. go all the time i you mean are, I, like a war okay kylie people jump off bridges and i'm not gonna let you do that you sound like a you jumping? you're not going
2: all right kylie you know what i've changed it your future bachelorette we're going to chernobyl hell yeah yep Polly, really? you're not invited
0: I, you're not going either I'm so going. No one's invited. You're
2: not you know going. What? Future baby Amelia is going to be coming too. I'll put her in a little suit and we're going to go. It'll be her first road trip.
0: I'm call. I'm calling the authorities. It's safe to go.
1: You just have to do your,
2: your right. You just got to do stuff right. But there's you just legit gotta, tours.
1: Yeah, you got to follow the rules. They have the whole thing. I watched a whole, I've watched, I don't know how many documentaries I've watched on Chernobyl, but there's one I watched about, they built this thing called the sarcophagus. It's what like that? this giant, like, metal building that they rolled over the reactor, and the sarcophagus, it rebuilds itself and Wait, eliminates this, the radiation. This is not real. Yes, it is.
2: This is a real thing?
1: Yeah, and if you go on, like, Google Earth and you go look at Chernobyl, you'll see it's just like, it looks like half of, like, a metal tube, like, on its mm-hmm. side playing over it, and um, it's basically like a robot building, and it keeps rebuilding itself and fixing itself. It will, I don't know, last almost forever what was that
2: the really 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 good chernobyl series it was either it's like called chernobyl HBO, is it hbo i can't even remember yeah. but that thing was fantastic
1: oh yeah that was i think it's listed as like one of the top tv shows of all time
2: i can't remember where i think it was hbo but holly it's not a documentary it's a well i mean it's a formatted documentary but it's a legit series tv series and it was phenomenal oh yeah like acting and everything okay, i'll
1: have to watch that no. Yeah, it's like a reenactment but it's like very historically accurate. Yeah, saying. really good. Yeah,
2: and there's like I mean people obviously like when they had to flee Chernobyl left behind all their homes, left behind pets, stuff like that and like so all of the animals there are radioactive, like you can't you can't take any of them, you can't like help them and stuff like that cuz they're all radioactive. The homes are like all creepy and eerie. I don't know. I I think it's so
1: It is
0: cool. That is really cool.
1: I've seen on TikTok, there's like um, little charities that will go in and like little vets. They'll take vets and they'll go in and care for the animals and like tutor them and stuff.
2: Yeah. Like they take care of them. I mean, they're trying to not have them repopulate. But you can't take them out. No, you can't. Not radioactive.
1: Yeah. All the puppies are radioactive.
2: Yeah. It's sad, but. Okay, well, I'm glad we got that out of the way because Kylie and I were shooketh halfway through the episode when Holly was like, what's Chernobyl? And we were like, oh my god. My whole personality. Yes. (laughs) Her Roman Empire is just destroyed.
1: Do we have any other fun events?
2: I might give birth soon. I might not. I don't know. So yeah, we'll just we don't get care that. about that. We'll, yeah,
0: that's yeah, boring. Actually, yeah, we'll,
2: <laughs> we'll we'll save that for the next. So I'm I'm I'll be the host of the next podcast uh, if I don't give birth within the next week. But and uh, that'll
0: probably be Kate's last pod probably. for a little bit, and she'll be listening. We're gonna let Kate have some maternity leave. I yeah. guess. Thanks.
2: Just a few days. will be fine. Unpaid. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll update you guys next time I record. We record how everything's going, but when you are listening to this right now, I just had a big appointment happen today. I don't know what it is yet, because obviously we record the day before, but um, we'll see whether or not I'll be having a child very soon or soon. So there's no other option. It's either very soon or soon. Crazy. And then we'll have a over my dead pod uh, baby, and she'll come and make an appearance, and we'll get her to do a little overtime segment where she just screams.
1: It's probably going to be our most viral clip. Yep. You're yep. welcome.
0: <laughs> and with that, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Over My Dead Pod. If you want even more information, including photos and sources of the case, you can check out our blog on overmydeadpod.com. And be sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening to this and check out our social media at Pod. And we will see you next week with another thrilling case. Bye. Bye. Bye you. Mm-hmm.